0: This is In Conversation from Apple News Today. I'm Duarte Geraldino. Every weekend, we're taking you deeper into the best journalism on Apple News. When the United States locked down last year because of the coronavirus pandemic, something that every working parent already knew to be true was exposed. This country's childcare system is broken. There is a severe shortage of child care workers.
1: Rising child care costs are taking an even bigger toll on some working moms.
0: As more and more parents get ready to go back to work in person, there's growing concern about the lack of child care options. Now, the pandemic has been crushing to small businesses, and child care centers are no exception. Thousands have closed since March of 2020. Congress allocated more than $50 billion in COVID relief funding to support child care, But it wasn't enough. The industry is still in crisis. Now, as part of the Build Back Better plan, Congress is debating whether to allocate even more money to cut childcare costs for families and to provide free preschool to every child in the US. But here's the thing. Our childcare system isn't broken by accident. A lot of this is by design.
1: As women continually entered the workforce in larger and larger numbers, this became a more pressing issue but it was never something the country really felt the need to address because, you know, what you should, quote-unquote, be doing is staying at home with your kids.
0: That's Claire Suddeth. She's a reporter for Bloomberg Businessweek, and she recently wrote about the deeply flawed childcare industry in the U.S. She breaks down what's wrong with the system today, some ways we might be able to fix it, as well as exactly how we got here.
1: I mean, the story of America's need for childcare is the story of... American women going to work. And oftentimes when we think about that, we think about the 1960s and 70s of millions of women entering the workforce in unprecedented numbers. But the reality is that women have been working and holding jobs for as long as we have had jobs exist. The earliest known place where people were providing care for children while their parents worked was just a nursery attached to a workroom in Philadelphia that employed widows whose husbands had died in the 1793 yellow fever epidemic. It was uh, at the time, you know, an innovative idea of like, why don't we watch the children so that the women can work and they have to work because their husbands have died. But the assumption was that if there was a husband around, the wife would stay at home and raise the kids and the husband would go to work.
0: You you described another incident in your work about women tying their toddlers to a leg of a table because they couldn't find childcare w- where did this happen
1: yeah so um jane adams was a philanthropist who started what's called hull house in chicago and they started offering childcare because she and the other women that she worked with had learned that garment workers in chicago were tying their children to table legs in the kitchen and then sometimes leaving them with, you know, a bowl of porridge or something to eat on the floor while they went to work because they didn't have anyone to watch them.
0: Childcare became even more urgent during World War II when about 1.5 million women with children under the age of 10 entered the workforce.
1: At the time, it was perceived as this sort of patriotic duty, the Rosie the Riveter, you know, going to work in the factory. But actually... There were surveys at the time, you know, women were working because they needed the money. It was the same issue. Their husbands were fighting overseas or had been killed, and they weren't making the money that they used to be making. And so all these women went to work and didn't have anywhere to put their kids. And in the early, early days of the war, it was just a free-for-all. There are plenty of historical accounts of what women did to come up with childcare, but there was this one movie theater in Muncie, Indiana, that the proprietor of the movie theater kept complaining because women would drop their kids off to watch movies and then just leave them there all day or evening as they went to work. And there was a factory in California where women had to come up with the solution of leaving their kids in their cars, and then they would park their cars under the factory window so that they could lean out and look and check on their kids.
0: In 1940, Congress passed the Lanham Act. It established more than 3,000 nationally-run daycares. People called them Lanham Centers.
1: It, you know, fundamentally changed the concept of child care in America. It was federally subsidized and federally-run daycares for children. And ultimately, mothers ended up paying about $8 to $13 a day.
0: That's extraordinary. Yeah, I know. absolutely extraordinary. If we could have something like that.
1: It was incredibly successful. There were, you know, surveys of of women who were using the centers at the time, and the vast majority of them, somewhere between like 80 and 96% of mothers who had used the Lanham Center services said that they liked them and that they trusted them. And obviously nothing is perfect, but it was a true comprehensive solution to a problem. But once World War II ended the funds were withdrawn and all of the centers closed.
0: In your article you mentioned how President Dwight Eisenhower his position was essentially that by having these centers open it would discourage what he considered the traditional role of the woman. Describe that. What is this argument?
1: Eisenhower was saying that while he understood that many women were working because they had to, many mothers were working because they had to. He distinguished between a financial need and what he referred to as women who prefer a career to the active career of real motherhood. And he said those women should reconsider how they were harming their children by not focusing on motherhood. And so, you know, even though back then the Bureau of Labor Statistics Commissioner laid out the facts and said, you know, women are entering the workforce in unprecedented numbers, they're not disappearing. This is a permanent feature of the American economy. And he said, you know, unless something is done about this, we're going to have a, a serious childcare shortage on our hands. And so the government has known about this for a very long time and yet has not done much beyond some chronically underfunded programs for low income families.
0: Eisenhower wasn't the only one. A decade later, Richard Nixon vetoed a bipartisan bill that would have created a federally funded network of child care centers. He argued it was, quote, dangerous for the federal government to play a part in how a family raises their children. You know, we're still hearing that argument today. Listen to Idaho State Representative Charlie Shepard during a debate a few years ago. Any bill that makes it easier or more convenient for mothers to come out of the home and let somebody else raise their child. I I just don't think that's a good direction for us to be going. But as we all know, that's the direction we're already headed in. Even considering the huge number of women who have quit their jobs because of the pandemic, women still make up nearly half the US workforce. And without some sort of mechanism to help support the childcare industry, what we're left with is a system where everybody loses. For one, kids are losing out.
1: There's a wealth of literature that says in the ages zero to five is when most of the brain development of a kid happens. And yet our public school system mostly kicks in at five. So we're starting our kids off behind.
0: Parents are also hurting. Many American families just can't afford childcare.
1: The average two-parent family, it's about 13 or 14% of their annual take-home pay. And then for a single parent, it runs as high as 36%, which then you know, begs the question, well, if you're paying 36% of your income on child care, how are you affording rent, groceries? And the answer is they're not. One component of what would be considered the basic necessities of your life at that point, you are not providing. And it has gotten to the point where... Huge swaths of Americans, you know, middle-class Americans are priced out of this. Not to even mention low-income families, like people who are unemployed. Like, if you are unemployed, you need to start looking for jobs. So how can you look for jobs if you don't have the money to put your kid in child care so that you can start looking for jobs? What
0: were some of the stories y- you heard just anecdotally about some of the extreme things that people had to do, not just during the pandemic, but in, as you describe it, the before times in order to solve this problem.
1: One of the women that I talked to for this story is a mother of three. She moved to North Carolina and enrolled in law school and started looking for daycares and daycares in North Carolina for a child two or younger is still, you know, over a thousand dollars a month. And on a single mom law student budget that just like was not possible. She said she didn't even entertain the idea So she started looking at Craigslist ads, and she found an ad for a woman who said she watched kids in her home for $100 a week. So Liz, who is the mom, was like, great, I can afford that. That's fine. Um, So she put her kid in that for a little while, and then her son came home one day and said that the woman had hit him. So Liz pulled her son out of that place, and so what she ended up doing was taking out a student loan. And using the student loan to pay for daycare. So she graduated law school with $140,000 in student loan debt. Obviously, not all of that was daycare related, but it definitely bumped it up a bunch.
0: And that's how parents and kids lose out. But the childcare providers, they aren't winning either.
1: No one goes into childcare or opens up a daycare because they think they're gonna make bank. You know, the actual number, if you wanna put a number on it, is. Childcare workers make about $24,000 a year, even though I think it's about 87% of them have some form of higher education. And that's absurd. You know, I knew childcare was incredibly expensive. And I knew that the people who provide that care for children do not make very much money. But I did not understand how they could be true at the same time. How am I paying $22,000 a year, but the average worker is making $24,000 a year? And I talked to a lot of experts, and then I talked to many child care providers and child care center owners themselves. And I think what I did not know, what I was surprised by was just how complicated the finances of running what seems like a fairly simple business actually are. Even the pandemic aside, in the before times, you know, margins were really thin.
0: How thin is thin? What are we talking about in terms of given all the requirements given all the kids how much is the actual profit
1: according to the US treasury they have a 1% profit margin
0: 1%
1: yeah and that's in healthy economic times that's not in the pandemic that is what they entered the pandemic with which is why when everything shut down and families pulled their children out of child care they had no money to continue
0: So that begs a question because we know that there are subsidies out there for child care. But when a private child care school or daycare center takes those subsidies, does the parent make up the difference or are they losing either way?
1: There's something called the Child Care and Development Fund. And it's a block grant that goes to every all 50 U.S. states and allows them to figure out how they're going to allocate the money for child care. And there are requirements on paper that they're supposed to follow in order to make their subsidy program qualify to get this money. But in reality, there's no punishment if you don't do it. The government is still going to give you the money. On paper, what they're supposed to do is create a subsidy program for low-income families. That subsidy program needs to cover 75% of the current market rate of care meaning what daycares charge.
0: So who covers the remaining 25%?
1: In theory, the low-income families. But they're low-income. And this is very expensive. And usually, the subsidies are not enough to cover the care in such a way that they can afford it. Because in reality, only two states, Maine and South Dakota, as of last year, had a subsidy program that was at that 70% mark. All the other states subsidized at considerably lower rates, sometimes as low as 25%. And so what happens is these businesses can't afford to accept subsidies because if they do, they lose money because it's rare for families who qualify for these subsidies to be able to come up with the other 75% to 25%. So you end up with a stratified system where the families who can pay, who are affluent, oftentimes white, they end up in one sort of childcare setting and everyone else is trying to scramble to find places that do accept subsidies or are priced low enough that maybe they can make it work or they find stuff on Craigslist or for many families, you know, they can ask an aunt or an uncle or a grandmother or something to watch the kids during the day.
0: So that describes the state of this industry, yeah. even before the pandemic, yes, and you know, last year, Congress allocated more than fifty billion dollars to keep the childcare industry from losing providers. But it didn't seem to work. all the shutdowns caused enrollment to drop, and about one in three childcare businesses closed. Now you talk about this, all that money, and still it couldn't stop the industry from getting dangerously close to imploding. Were you surprised after all this research that you did and and being a young mom?
1: It's amazing to me in some ways that only one third of childcare businesses have closed. I am shocked that so many of them have managed to get by at all. The amount of money that we gave the childcare industry as a whole was not a lot of money. You know, $52.5 billion sounds like a ton of money, but one out of every 55 Working women in the U.S. works in childcare or early education. And the CARES Act, which was the first relief bill, gave more money to Delta Airlines, the company, than all of those women who make up the whole industry combined.
0: If throwing more than $50 billion at this problem wasn't enough, what's it going to take? Claire Sutter says, just look at other nations that have successful systems in place.
1: In other countries, like the U.K., France, South Korea, Italy, Israel, about 90% of three and four year olds in those countries are in preschool. In the US, that number is 40%. You know, the gold standard is France. But France has much higher taxes, much more heavily subsidized childcare. It's called Creche, and it's a system in place for infants from three months to three years. And then at three years, they enter free preschool. But it's a government program that is free up to a certain income threshold. And then it is heavily subsidized, like heavily. I talked to a woman who lives in Paris, and she and her husband have excellent jobs. And they pay about $450 a month in Paris, in Paris, like the most expensive city in France.
0: And now here we have Biden with his Build Back Better plan. How will it actually work? Do you think that the Build Back Better plan... Will help solve this problem?
1: I think the answer to that question is it depends on what state you live in. The reason why I have to sort of hedge it that way is because the plan is not creating a federal funding mechanism from scratch. It is making money available to states should they come up with their own plans and decide that they want to do this. And the requirements in the Build Back Better Act. They're good. They're beyond anything that we've ever had before. It's definitely a step in the right direction. But it is contingent upon a state putting a plan in place and deciding that it is going to fix its own child care problem. And so if a state is going to come up with a plan that hits all of these Build Back Better requirements, like requiring a living wage, capping families' costs at you know roughly 7% of their income and making child care completely free for low income families below a certain threshold and a number of other things but those are kind of the main points in order to do that a state has to figure out how it's going to roll all of this out and require higher wages and provide money for the businesses themselves to pay those higher wages but If our current subsidy program says you have to subsidize at 75% and states aren't doing it now, and given the biases against working women, and also just the incredibly complicated nature of the problem, it takes a big leap of faith to think that all 50 states are going to come up with a plan that appropriately helps childcare centers.
0: What does the future hold? Do you think that this broken childcare system can be fixed?
1: I think you have to say yes. But I think this sort of incremental approach to, you know, putting band aids over the worst cuts and bruises that we have and just hoping everything else will become manageable is not an ideal solution. As I was reporting on this, I thought. A lot about the US healthcare system. You know, the fundamental problem of healthcare is that it's too expensive. And the Affordable Care Act drastically increased the number of people who have health insurance, but healthcare is still really expensive. And sometimes the solution is not something politically feasible in the US.
0: Claire, thank you so much for being in Apple News today. Your work is excellent. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Thank you. Claire said its article about child care in the U.S. is available now on Apple News. You can find the link on our show notes page.